Hello, welcome to Creating Portland. I'm your host, Pearson Coons, and on this podcast, I'll be interviewing progressive creators who are using their art to shape the culture of our city and beyond. I hope you enjoy this episode of Creating Portland. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Creating Portland. And we are here with a really incredible guest that I already know is going to teach me so much. Their name is Demian Denae Yege. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And it is they are a Portland-based Denae transdisciplinary artist, poet, and curator who is born to both the clans, the Zuni Water's Edge clan and then the Bitterwater clan. Their practice is a regurgitation of purported decolonial praxis informed by the overaccumulation and exploitative supremacist nature of hetero cisgender communities. They are a survivor of attempted European genocide, forced assimilation, colonial manipulation, sexual and gender violence, capitalist sabotage, and hyper-marginalization in a colonized country that refuses to center their politics and philosophies around the indigenous peoples whose land it wrongfully occupies and refuses to rightfully give back. They live and work in a post-post-apocalyptic world unafraid to fail. Oh my goodness, there is a lot in that description, and I am beyond excited to get into every part of it. So welcome to the show, Demian. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, my name is, for, for everyone out there, my name is Demian Dineyeshe. I'm born to the clans Nastaje Tabahe and Torachitni of the Dine tribe, and I currently reside in Portland, Oregon. Yes, thank you for those. Uh, pronunciations as well. Um, so we'll, we'll start broad and big with our, our big opening question, which is just, Demian, how are you as an artist creating Portland? Uh, by uh, exposing all the flaws of Portland or Oregon itself, uh, everything mm -hmm. that it was founded on, the Oregon Trail Manifest Destiny sort of romanticized idea of what it means to inhabit that state to uh, create a simulated idea of belonging and um, mm. uh, this this uh, false sense of um, of owning and participating in a really corrupt, construct like settler colonialism and so i feel like the ways that i've associated with portland uh initially was based around like riot girl culture i was really interested in like small communities and like gardening in the woods uh water and everything everything that the desert doesn't have um i was really mm. interested in having this sort of contrast to that but primarily was very interested in this subversive underground diy culture but then once i got to portland i realized very quickly that you know there there were race issues especially within the queer community that just weren't being recognized weren't being acknowledged or accounted for and uh i i feel like that sort of like situates my practice eventually within portland uh kind of turning 
the um the gaze back onto the settler colonial mentality um and mm. trying to sort of like deconstruct and make people more aware of how embedded this shit is within like the portland culture yes absolutely and how does that for people that aren't familiar with your work how does that manifest what is that how are you exploring these ideas through your work well i i will like you like you noted and uh my artist bio i'm a transdisciplinary artist i feel like there are various modes that i utilize in order to get those messages across first and foremost i consider myself to be a writer I feel like that's how I got into the creative arts, um, visual, a visual art practice, uh, became a way for me to, to really push more of the messages and ideas of what I was interested in. I feel like, you know, the, the poetry and literary space, while I really love it and, um, want to be a part of it it's just not something that I really want to put that much energy into. Um, even though I mm. self-publish books, you know, I just feel like the, um, it's like, so uh, it, 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 uh, it's, uh, it has its own sort of racist history and, mm -hmm. and, and problems that I just don't really feel like deserves my time or my energy at this point. Um, mm, and so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that. So I feel like there are different modes and different mediums that I engage with in order to address a lot of these issues. And I do that mostly through neon work, text-based works, uh, some video work, a lot of collaborative work. And like I said, you know, self-publishing books and such. And I also direct and manage this initiative known as RISE, which stands for Radical Indigenous Survivance and Empowerment. Mm, wow. Um, <laughs> there's just so much in that too that I want to get into. But how have you, with so many different mediums you're working with, have you noticed, what kind of differences have you noticed in the response to them and maybe in their effectiveness in having these conversations around Portland and the flaws of Portland? How has the different mediums influenced? Um, oh, well, I mean, you know, I feel like I talk about some of these issues within Portland or about Portland, but I'm more interested in in, in these larger questions and, and the way that it has like a larger impact on indigenous communities and queer mm. communities. So while I feel like the work um, is situated and made within Portland, uh, a lot of the topics, because I'm Navajo, you know, I'm we refer to ourselves as Diné, but it's more commonly referred to as Navajo. And so a lot of the work that I do is about my culture, my traditions, and where I'm from, which is in the southwestern portion of the of the so-called United States. And hmm. But I feel like these ideas and these concepts and um, the whole settler colonial simulation uh, is expansive. It's, it's, you know, it's right. regional, it's local, it's, you know, um, as, like each individual state's issue. 
it's national and it's global at this point. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, I guess one prime example might be a exhibition that I was a part of for the Portland Biennial this uh, last round. And we had, uh, when I say we, I'm talking about myself and the work uh, that I do through RISE, um, we're invited to engage and participate in that Portland Biennial. And we had remounted mm -hmm. this exhibition that was previously installed at Pioneer Works in Brooklyn, New York on uh, Lenape, L Lenny Lenape territory um, in Lenape Hoking. And so that exhibition was titled The Nation is a Massacre. And that really, that entire exhibition focuses on indigenous issues um, and sort of like reframed this whole conversation about like gun violence and mass murdering around this ongoing mm. sort of acts of colonial violence um, enacted through settler colonialism and attempted um, complete, you know, indigenous annihilation and genocide. Um, so mm. at the time, you know, that that exhibition was mounted, there were a lot of conversations nationwide about these mass shootings that were happening. There were headlines that were like, you know, the largest mass shooting in American history. Um, but that completely disregards all of the um, mass murders and massacres enacted by the US Calvary. Um, so this exhibition was an attempt um, and, and I, I feel like it was successful in reframing and naming that and making, you know, non-Indigenous viewers aware of different incidences of colonial violence perpetuated by um, the U.S. Calvary and the American government. Uh, and mm. when, sorry, when we put together that exhibition, <laughs> um, we have this whole vinyl piece and like a few of the vinyl pieces made notes of different um, massacres that had happened within Oregon and different types of, oh, okay. of uh, early sort of racist um, rhetoric by some of the first colonizers of, of Oregon's history. Got it. Wow, that is that is powerful, especially with national gun violence just at such a, it feels like even in the past weeks, it's been re-emerging as a conversation topic. And you're right that it's totally erased from the, the larger conversation. I feel like our attention spans can't go back that many <laughs> decades even just to get to where that was happening in like a state sanctioned way. Um, okay. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Your work is riveting. And then is there anything else we need to know about your work and how it connects to RISE specifically? Is that an art-specific organization? Is it, are you, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, okay. So maybe this is another way that my work responds to Portland um, mm -hmm. and simultaneously responds to issues of like indigenous identity, displacement and migration. And so Rise came out of me really feeling alienated within Portland. You know, I, I always joke mm. and point out that like Portland forced me to figure out how to have a relationship with white people. Like prior to that, mm. you know, growing up in New Mexico, like a lot of my friends and people I dated were um, indigenous, 
um, Latinx, you know, people of color. And so mm -hmm. that, that was my community. And so coming to Portland, like that completely shifted. Um, and it immediately became apparent, even within queer communities, the different types of like racist stereotypes that people would put onto indigenous people. And it still happens today. Mm -hmm. Like Portland queers are still racist as fuck. And so I completely feel like, um, I don't feel like it's necessarily my duty to um, help them figure out how to deal with that racism necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. It's more, I feel more a, of an obligation to create and support networks within Portland that actually um, empower indigenous, black, brown, Asian Pacific Islander, mm -hmm. queer, trans, two-spirit communities of color. And RISE was sort of an attempt to really figure out how to um, I guess it was more, it came out of more of me wanting to figure out or asking myself questions of what would it be like to have a space situated within an urban um, setting, a non-native like urban setting that was about creating um, empowerment and education for indigenous communities. Um, and I'm not mm. talking about like just a standard because sometimes what happens within urban cities and such is they'll have native centers, but I still feel like sometimes these native centers are pushing this um, conservative sort of traditional assimilative agenda. And so I, mm -hmm. I, well, I feel, well, I think that there are very important and amazing traditions that do need to pass on. Uh, I also realized that the boarding school era and the introduction of Western religion and forced assimilation into um, the Western language and this like simulated, you know, colonial fuckery essentially um, has had like detrimental impacts on what we truly consider to be traditional um, indigenous like philosophies and um, mm. and uh, ways of, of, of of, of seeing the world and being in the world. Um, so I, I'm less interested in, in sort of like that, like runoff of like the boarding school era assimilationist mindset. Um, and I'm more interested in these like really beautiful and amazing aspects of indigenous philosophy and worldviews that like honor the earth, that honor, you know, cosmology, that honor the variances of like gender identities and such um indigenous ceremony um reverence for the land for for um you know animal beings and and plants and such mm -hmm. um but, and then i became also interested and fascinated in what it would be like to to take all of that and focus on the evolution of indigenous um identity of indigenous cultures and such and I think a lot of people, especially from my generation, are really um, pushing that and asking themselves these same these same questions of how we move forward. And one some of those beautiful examples are um, how do indigenous communities become accountable and create safe spaces for Black Indigenous relatives and Afro Indigenous communities? Mm -hmm. And how do we deal with mm -hmm. even the racism that is embedded into Indigenous communities, you know, post colonization? And uh, right. 
so anyway, I, you know, I, I feel like rise is sort of came out of like asking myself these questions and trying to figure out what that space would look like. Um, hmm. And it came out of like really just feeling like isolated and alienated within a, a, a space like Portland, but also really loving mm -hmm. it. And because I love Portland, you know, I like I've I've been here for over ten years. Um, I feel like it's a second home. the 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 land and everything around me has healed me. The community has healed me. Um, there's been so many different instances throughout Portland's history uh, that just have completely like inspired me you know people having galleries inside mm -hmm. of their garages inside of their homes basements and such um in the back of their bronco you know like um <laughs> there's so many things that i feel like portland ha has has taught me um and i was just trying to figure out how to insert a indigenous praxis within the the, the portland community and rise was one attempt to do that while simultaneously um, critiquing the art school industrial complex that I was attending, which was the Pacific Northwest College of Art. Mm, yeah, so we've had several guests on here from that, yeah. that educational background who have some, I'm sure, similar thoughts. Um, okay, riveting, riveting stuff. So that, so yeah, you made your own space in a space that didn't already exist and not just your own space, but a space to be shared with people like you and voices that hadn't um been as empowered as they are through rise which is exciting and it's definitely a theme we've been noticing is that like portland did not have this and so the artists just made it themselves and created on top of their own art are creating spaces to make that art oh yeah um, so let's, I guess, zoom out past your art specifically. And it sounds like, I mean, you start sort of mentioned some of these things throughout the interview so far, but what, what is working for you about Portland art? And obviously, like you're saying, you love it. You're staying here. You're still creating here. What are the good things that you're noticing? And then what are the areas in which we need to improve beyond just supporting rise, obviously? But as a whole arts community, where is where is the improvement needing to happen? Well, what I love about Portland is the the support that I get from the from from art communities, um, both institutionally, like Reed College, Stephanie Snyder, um, and all the, the entire crew out there has just always supported my work you know um especially within the past like three years they've uh just been amazing and helping me produce work helping me like feel comfortable and to be able to survive and like focus on myself and like what comes next uh the you know Pacific, not pacific northwest college of art um although you know pnca does have really good faculty they have oh my god excuse me um, they have amazing faculty. <laughs> I had no idea what PNCA was. I kept seeing the brochures all over town. Um, and so I just applied there when I decided, after I decided to get like sober and like stop drinking, um, mm -hmm. and really focused on like my art career. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I, I didn't realize the, the, the type of space that PNCA was, and there's been really good faculty there that really helped shape my practice. 
um, that mm. really helped me like feel comfortable in having this uh, assertive, unapologetic tone that other that other you know colleges that I had been to previously just were not about. Um, I always sort of felt that I had to like tone myself down or like act professional to a certain extent. And PNCA was mm. very much like, fuck that, you know, do what you want to do. Um, and, uh, you know, PICA is a really good space. They've been really supportive. They've created different types of um, opportunities for different artists. They support local, uh, regional, national artists, international artists. They bring Portland into this space that um, creates conversations and communities of engagement that you know, far exceed the boundaries of, of Portland and Oregon itself. Um, but I think I really just love the way that Portland has worked. You know, I think it's, it's definitely held on to that DIY punk sort of mentality. Again, like making communities and building communities for ourselves um, that eventually, you know, these galleries around town have to, um, recognize and uh and but that that i also feel like sometimes like end up co-opting um i do feel that Mm. you know a lot of the times institutions end up just co-opting some of the practices that you know particularly indigenous black brown asian pacific islander communities um have spent years working to build and construct um so i think that obviously needs to change and I think one way that happens is is through pushing more support um, and just all together, just financing more of these uh, of these efforts um, yeah. that artists have. But unfortunately, you know, what I continually keep seeing is is these art programs and these art organizations really coming in and trying to make these changes and bring this sort of like radical tone to it. Um, and this progressive sort of tone to it, but yet they'll still throw in like a white curator to put everything Mm. together, to do the programming, to um, put together the art exhibition and such. Um, And so I I, I think Portland needs to completely like change. And I think these, um, the folks who are within the arts, you know, regardless of their politics, regardless of their, allyship and and um how how they situate themselves beside um marginalized and hyper marginalized communities i do think that sometimes you know they need to ask themselves like whether or not they are the person for the who who um if they are the perfect person to be doing that at this moment um mm-hmm. and if not you know they should also be able to hand that that off to somebody else. Um, And this is really difficult. I mean, um, I realize there are times within my own art career that um, it would, it it actually would have been nice to hand it off to somebody else. Um, I think there's a lot of conversations Mm. right now, even within the disability um, community and calls for like disability justice uh, where we could really take a moment to just give up a lot of um, the privileges we have to allow these communities to have these conversations and to 
mm-hmm. curate exhibitions and to bring in artists who are actually doing this work. And uh, I mean, that's a hard thing because we're all trying to survive. We're all trying to make a name for ourselves, right? Um, but I don't think we can actually do any of these things until we actually step back and allow other people to lead us. And uh, it's it's just a it's just a, a an odd time to um, be asking these questions. I guess I don't think it's a, it's an odd time to be asking these questions. I think it's a perfect time to be asking these questions. It's just an odd time to actually be putting all of this into practice when we're dealing with like a global pandemic and really fucked up racial um, inequalities in a stolen and colonized country. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, I mean, I'm definitely getting the impression recently that white Portlanders are very willing to engage and have a conversation and talk about it in theory, but like the actual sacrifice required, I don't think has hit. I want to say like my community, white people in general, just the level of like, maybe not being able to do things or maybe not having a voice in a conversation or maybe just stepping back indefinitely from different things so that these conversations can be had, like you're saying, without interruption and with support and with uh, a focused effort towards actually making change rather than just using it. It almost feels in some ways like like an exciting exploration of something new and novel and different, when in reality, the work you're talking about, the, the, the kind of art you're discussing is pushing us towards real substantial change eventually if we let it but i think a lot of the lack of sacrifice and the willingness to to be down for that is causing a lot of it i guess it's just slowing down the process in a way that is well yeah exhausting at times it's yeah it but it's it, it's gonna happen like it, right it's gonna happen at some point and it's just whether or not these institutions actually want to be doing that i mean yeah the yellow union you know had you know, right now they're they're giving their building over to the NACF, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. The Native Arts and Cultures Foundation, um, which is wonderful. You know that that they're actually giving that building, like they're 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 yeah. dealing with reparations yeah. and and land back sort mm-hmm. of mentality in a real way. In a real way, yeah. Um, I I still think that the Native Art, Arts and Cultures Foundation like still needs to change. I, I think there are aspects of the NACF that are colonial. Um, and again, like can, that perpetuate this sort of like assimilative traditionalist mindset. Um, and some of that needs to change. And, you know, I've been semi vocal about that. Um, it's very difficult to have conversations and be critical of like indigenous organizations and indigenous spaces, because I also don't want to enact lateral violence against my own communities. But I think criticism mm. is something that definitely needs to happen, especially in spaces that are primarily run by hetero cisgender individuals. Um, so, I mean, there's that there's that part of it. And the other part of it is also, I feel like a lot of these institutions and art galleries and spaces within Portland like could actually give a lot of their resources and a lot of what they do over to indigenous, black, brown, Asian and Pacific Islander communities. Um, I think they have enough wealth and they have enough behind them. They've, mm-hmm. they've had enough 
of a long history within the space, what was not within the space, but within Portland history, um, that they can mm. just hand that off to to eager young, you know, communities of color to build the spaces that we need. Um, yeah. Whether those are mutual aid efforts, whether that's completely restructuring the way that art is handled um, or art is presented or any of it, you know, I, it's it's a toxic and fucked up environment. Um, and uh, I don't know, I, 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 well, I love working within the arts. Um, within the past year, I felt that um, we could have been a lot more critical uh, of changing the way that these things are structured. We could have d- made more demands that, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the board of directors within the, the Portland Art Museum like needs to completely change, you know, that that embedded into each institution is also... Um, a long-term sort of goal of giving that land back to indigenous peoples. Um, if they're really interested mm-hmm. in it, if they really want to like stick behind those land acknowledgements, like they need to put that shit into action. Um, and I don't see that happening. I, I see it happening in, in small ways here and there, um, but it's not, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. Well, that is actually a, amazing transition into our final section which is just what is your hope for portland what do you see is as the the future that we can achieve if we do head in that direction what does that look like for you (laughs) well uh shit i don't know i i i really don't know because on the one hand i feel like you know I'm very like comfortable within like an echo chamber of like people that I, that I follow and that I admire and that I'm in community with and I'm really hopeful, but then I go around Portland and I hear people talk about it and um, which is, I feel like all you can do right now with the pandemic, you know, it's just like hear how different people are engaging with it and like moving around different (laughs) spaces and such. but I feel like, you know, there with the influx of, of uh, people who have moved into state and such, um, I don't know if, I don't know how ready Portland is to make these transitions. Um, mm. I don't think it will be an easy space for us to get into. I don't know if the, uh, I don't know if building the, the, the future of like, security and love that 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 we are asking for um is going to be very simple um as we saw with the protests even last year you know it quickly turned um against the movement um public Mm -hmm. opinion and such and uh we still have a bunch of you know white supremacists far right QAnon active activists and such rebel rousers whatever Mm -hmm. like um out there within oregon that i i i don't know what it what what it will look like um in the next few years but what i hope ends up happening is again building these like networks and safe safer spaces for marginalized communities and that 
you know, these demands that we are making, which are very simple and are just invested in creating safety and security and love and compassion and community care and, um, you know, providing and nourishing the earth and um, looking out for like future generations and such. Like these are all very simple things that we could be putting into practice right now. Um, but I think that's what the future looks like. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who are working to get there. And we have to continually remind ourselves that the present time that we are living in did not look this way for, you know, my, my grandparents who have passed on. You know, the, the ways that I'm embodying my, my queerness, my indigeneity, my gender identity and such, um, did not look the way um, that it did 50 years ago. And that came through right. the hard work, efforts and activism of various generations. Um, so we need to remind ourselves that it is possible and that the work that we're doing right now to build the future um, will create, you know, hope and, and, and love and compassion for future generations. Um, mm. and I believe that we will get there. Um, you know, I, I, I think pessimism is also a, a, a colonial agenda and we need to figure out how to, um, dismantle that within our thinking. Mm. Oh, I just got chills as you were saying that. Yeah. I, uh, I would love for us to get there. And it is, it does feel so unclear. It feels so complicated and hard. And like I was saying, I don't think we're ready for how hard it's going to be, mm -mm. but I'm, I'm sure it will pay off. And it's even harder to put in the investment to get that payoff when you don't really know there's never been this sort of world we're hoping to hit. Oh yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Demian. I really appreciate everything you've said tonight. It's been so fascinating and interesting to uh, hear your perspective. So thanks for being here. And where can people find you online? Where can they follow your work? How do they engage with you after the pod? Uh, they can follow me on Instagram at heterogeneoushomosexual. And uh, the Rise account is at riseindigenous. And okay. those, are, those are really the best ways. My Instagram is basically an extension of my practice. It's kind of like a notebook or, or what have you. I don't have a, a website. Um, so that's really the, the, the main way that people are exposed to my work and um, whatever bullshit I'm saying. Nice. All right, great. Well, we'll make sure to link those below. And uh, thank you so much for being here, Demian. Yeah, thank you all as well, and uh, hope you're safe out there, and thank you for creating this space and um, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Creating Portland with me, Pearson Coons. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at CreatingPDX, or on our website, CreatingPDX.com. This podcast was brought to you by Wolf and Thunder Productions and Golden Pride Productions. See you next time. Bye.